Charles Stanley Radio. The latest economic updates, insights and conversations with finance industry experts. Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from Charles Stanley. I'm Gary White and today I'm joined by John Redwood, our Chief Global Strategist, to talk about, you know, where we are in the economic cycle. John, it's been a a difficult few months. Are we starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel? Where are we in this whole readjustment? Yeah, Gary, it has been a a very difficult few months for investors. Uh, If you went into relatively safe bonds, the price of those have fallen. That's because interest rates are going up. And as interest rates rise, so people pay less for a bond because they want a bigger percentage income on their investment. And then it knocked over to equities. People started to worry that as interest rates went up, so companies would have to pay more money for their borrowings, so people would have less money to spend on goods and services, and so then companies might start to see falling turnover and profits. So it's been a perfect storm. Why is it happening? Well, it's happening because the advanced world has had several years of responding to COVID and other difficult circumstances. And the main response was to print huge extra amounts of new money. So the Bank of Japan was printing yen and the European Central Bank was printing euros and the Fed was was printing dollars. The Bank of England was printing pounds and they were using all that money they were creating to buy bonds. So if you were a bondholder during those years, you saw the price of your bonds going up and there was always a a willing purchaser, a central bank uh, with very unimaginative shopping habits who were prepared to put some more government bonds uh, into their trolleys. And suddenly, in most parts of the world, that is being switched off. It's being switched off uh, in the Bank of England area first at the end of last year. Uh, Then the Fed uh, decided it had to end all its bond buying. Uh, The European Central Bank has just got round to ending its bond buying. Only the Bank of Japan is carrying on with all this bond buying because Japan, along with China, uh, the only two major economies in the world with still very low inflation, so they don't have the problems that the Europeans and the Americans now have. We have to ask ourselves, how much longer are we going to go through this painful adjustment? Uh, And that, I think, is a question that's best answered by looking at what is happening to inflation. Uh, Because these central banks, particularly the European Central Bank and the Fed, misread inflation badly um, just over a year ago. It's taken them all by surprise, hasn't it? Yeah. I I would have thought money printing was inflationary. (laughs) Well, I I think it it can indeed be. We had a period when it wasn't because there was so little activity and they could get away with creating all this extra money. The COVID closures meant we had a very distorted economy and I don't think it was inflationary during that period. Uh, But as we came out of lockdown and we started to get more normal levels of economic growth, so this money started sloshing around and it didn't just stay in the bond market and it started to filter through uh, into the the wider economy. So, yes, we have to look at what they're going to do now to tackle inflation. And we are dealing with central banks on both sides of the Atlantic that did get it wrong. and They greatly underestimated the inflationary threat from their actions and other events in the world. Uh, And there's always the danger now that they might go too far the other way and and they might say, well, we can't afford to make this error again, so we need to be tougher for longer. So what we're looking at, as are many other economic forecasters and commentators, is how serious is the inflation from here? We've got inflation now 8, 9, 10% on both sides of the Atlantic. We've got inflation over 10% in several Euroland countries, which is 
alarming level. The better news is in Asia, where the inflation rate in both China and Japan remains a little bit over 2%. It also means that all those who think the inflation is just the result of the dreadful war in Ukraine and the rise in oil prices clearly aren't quite right, because Japan and China import an awful lot of energy and other commodities. They've had to meet those higher prices for the basics, partly created by the war in Ukraine, but they still don't have the general inflation that we're seeing on both sides of the Atlantic in the advanced West. We're particularly concerned to answer the question, will the inflation accelerate and continue because people will gain wage increases in line or higher than price increases, and then it it in the end, unfortunately, becomes self-defeating because then the companies have to put up the prices to cover the higher wages and then people's wages don't go as far and you can get into a difficult spiral, the wage price spiral as, as we call it. And so far, so good. I think there is some <clears throat> better news out there because we, we may well be somewhere near peak inflation now on both sides of the Atlantic. Uh, and there is evidence that uh, wage increases are, are staying quite a bit below what we hope is peak inflation levels. Now, this is very bad news for all those of us earning money uh, from normal wages, because it means we are getting a hit to our real incomes. But from the point of view of breaking the inflationary psychology, uh, it is helpful. Uh, And so the authorities will be looking at that very carefully. And if they think wages are going to remain reasonably restrained, and then prices will come back down again, and people will be a bit better off when that happens, Uh, then we will have a much better outcome. If they think that there could still be a takeoff in in wages and you you get a self-defeating chase of wages and prices, then they will put interest rates up further and they will keep them there for longer because the only way the central banks can really guarantee to bring down price increases is to create a recession. So we've seen uh, over the last three or four months, markets wrestling with these twin evils. There's a big inflation out there, how quickly will it subside? And then there's the other question of, is the only way to bring it down a a nasty recession, in which case uh, you're going to have more agony uh, on your equity investments, because then in a recession, clearly companies lose turnover, lose profit, some companies go bankrupt, and it's not a a good situation. A lot of this inflation is not really the central banks don't really have the tools to deal with it because it's this inflation created by the COVID lockdowns in China with supply chain delays there. So do they have the, the tools necessary to bring it under control? Do you think? Well, you're right that if you put up interest rates, you don't immediately get um, a reduction in, in the petrol at the pump because you, you've got shortages in supply because the West, for understandable reasons, doesn't want to buy from Russia. And we're a bit short of refinery capacity and the overall price of oil has gone up. But in in the medium term, I mean, it is a sad truth that if the central banks put up interest rates and create a recession, then that will bring inflation down because it will mean that we can afford to buy less petrol and underlying energy and where we have to spend a lot more money on the energy we we really can't do without, then we have less money to spend on other things. And so then you get a bigger hit. Uh, to the output of other things. So then uh, you get a weakening in in demand for other kinds of discretionary services, for example, and that will bring the price of those down because the only thing the businesses can do is then to cut prices. So yes, I'm afraid it is a a one tool in in the toolbox for the central banks that 
the only way traditionally they brought price inflation under control is to create recessions. But our base case says that you don't need to create a big recession at the moment, that it looks as if wages are not accelerating in a very inflationary way. It looks as if the hit to net incomes that has come in particular from the forces you mentioned in the energy markets uh, will slow things down enough so that some of that extreme pricing pressure disappears from the system. So we see at the moment that on both sides of the Atlantic, people in the lower areas of the income scale in particular are very badly hit by the big increase in the price of basics. And so there is enormous competitive pressure in the retail sector to try and source um, cheaper products, to cut the margins of the food producers, to cut their own margins a bit in order to accommodate uh, customers who really do need help with their budgets. And, you know, the figures at the moment are horrific. I mean, if you look at the inflationary <clears throat> figures, this is, you know, historically 40 years, we haven't seen anything like this. But, you know, as they say, it's always darkest just before dawn. As you mentioned, we might be seeing a peak inflation <clears throat> relatively soon. And that is a positive sign, really. That's going to allow <clears throat> central bankers not necessarily to take their foot off the pedal, but allow them a little bit more breathing space. Well, indeed, it would be very important they don't overdo it, because if, if this is going to be uh, peak inflation this summer, then uh, they would be wrong to keep on with the large number of rate rises. Some people in the markets and some of the people around the policy tables in the central banks are talking about. I want to stress to everybody that there has been a very big monetary tightening on, on both sides mm -hmm. of the Atlantic, uh, that we were living uh, in an incredibly loose uh, regime where you had literally money being printed and you had that being used to keep all kinds of interest rates very low. And we've had a, a sharp increase in interest rates from around the zero level and we've had the cancellation of all of the money printing outside uh, Japan, uh, which is going to make a very big difference. And, and that's why the central banks themselves are now forecasting that inflation is going to come down quite sharply next year. And this time, their forecast may be right. Because if you look back a year, they weren't forecasting inflation no. in the first place. No. Then, of course, they're going to have to unwind all the positions that they built up as pandemic-era supports. Their balance sheets are at record levels. I mean, what sort of impact do you think this is going to have on the on the recovery from this, this bout of inflation and potential recession that people are talking about? Yeah, well, that's a very good question, because as you rightly say, uh, they bought up all, all these bits of government paper, all these government bonds. Uh, and some people think they should now be selling that off or they should be allowing those bonds to be repaid and not uh, spending the money again on buying new bonds. Uh, and that is certainly American policy. American policy now is to reduce the size of the bond portfolio which they hold, uh, whereas the Europeans are saying that would be a bit extreme and so they are reinvesting the money that they get when one of the bonds that they own reaches maturity and gets repaid by, by the government concerned. And there will be a continuing debate about how far you go in, in winding the bond portfolio down. Because if you wind it down too much, you drive interest rates up further, obviously, because mm. suddenly the biggest buyer of bonds in America, which has been the Federal Reserve Board for a very long time, could suddenly become the biggest seller of bonds in the American market. That is going to have a further negative impact on the prices of bonds and therefore raise interest rates even more. So these are difficult judgments. And I think the, the Europeans are going to be much more careful than the Americans about that, because the Europeans have an additional problem, which is that uh, they don't have a single state behind their European Central Bank. 
and they don't therefore have a single government issuing paper. Um, they are buying up the bonds of a whole variety of governments from Greece and Italy in the south to the Netherlands and Germany in the north. And these bits of paper are, are rather differently rated by investors. People mm -hmm. feel happier with German paper or Dutch paper because those countries are generating trade surpluses and are in a stronger financial position, whereas the southern countries are in a rather weaker financial position with, with bigger state debts. So I think it is a restraint on the European Central Bank selling off a lot of its bonds. They certainly wouldn't want to sell off Greek and Italian bonds at the moment because they, they would fear that would drive their interest rates up far too high. Uh, indeed, they're thinking the opposite. They're currently working out a scheme where they could continue buying more Greek and Italian bonds so that those interest rates don't go too high at a time when generally they're trying to stop or reduce their overall bond buying. And so the big subject that they are talking about very publicly now is what they call the transmission of their monetary policy. By that they mean how can we, the European Central Bank, try and get the same interest rates in Italy as we have in Germany? And the answer is you can't. Yeah, it is quite. very difficult. <laughs> uh, but they want to try and bring them closer together. So it will mean they keep more bonds for longer and they may even buy up more of the bonds in the countries that have the weakest finances. And they have the additional problem of Mr. Putin and the gas threats for later this year. So they have lots of problems that they don't know how are going to resolve in the in the short and medium term. So it's quite difficult. I wouldn't like to be sat at the ECB at the moment. I think it would be a very challenging job. I think it's extremely difficult. And I think it's an impossible task to get a completely happy result from the, the multitude of problems they face. And I think you're absolutely right to, to press me on the energy situation and the impact of the Ukraine war, because it is clearly far worse for the Europeans, continental Europeans, uh, than it is for the Americans, because the Americans are sitting there on these huge gas fields and gas reserves. They, they have more than enough gas for their domestic fuel purposes and are indeed now selling quite a bit of it in liquid form uh, to European allies, whereas the Europeans are chronically short of gas, trying to reduce their dependence on Russian gas, which has been their, their main supply. And in oil, the Americans don't cover all their own needs, but they are a very big oil producer. Mm. Uh, and that is very helpful in this situation, whereas the, the Europeans are very restricted in the amount of oil they can get out for themselves. So I think it is a, an underlying weakness. It also means that the net income hit has been even worse in Europe than it has in America because the, the Americans have the benefit, for example, of considerably lower diesel and petrol prices at the pump, uh, something they call gas, which is quite confusing for us, <laughs> compared with ours because they charge rather less tax on it, uh, but they still find there quite a big increase in, in the diesel and oil price at the pumps, a major political issue, and it's something which President Biden is clearly very alarmed about. So, fascinating times, but I sense some some reason for optimism from this discussion. Well, a bit of relief, because we've been saying in our base, <laughs> yes. base case for some time that we think we can get through this without the, a major inflationary liftoff from the high levels we've now got to and without the inflation embedding, and that therefore the period of high interest rates a bit more limited, and maybe we'll get away without the very high rates some people have been forecasting. Thanks, John. I hope you enjoyed listening. Please join us again for future recordings from Charles Stanley Radio. Thank you very much. Music